Chuck and Julie, bringing you the truth straight up. I'm Julie Hagan. I'm working at- an Emmy-winning former investigative reporter, a highly successful trial attorney, and publisher of a major Denver area newspaper. They've been partners as talk show hosts and in marriage as parents for over 10 years, providing thought-provoking information, opinion, and entertainment live, local, and interactive. Everyone's voice is always welcome on The Chuck and Julie Show. And happy Monday, everybody. Chuck Bonniewell and Julie Hayden here with you with a Chuck and Julie Grassroots Show, Truth Straight Up. Um, Chuck is joining us on the phone. He had a last-minute appointment. Um, um, the, the show is brought to you, in the meantime, by Mountain West Wellness, Advanced Acupuncture and Chinese Medicine, as well as HappyTrees.co. So it was the big vote. The big um, opt-out vote, along with some other things with the Colorado Republican Party Central Committee, some 400 folks gathered down there in Castle Rock. Chuck is on the committee and was, I guess, deeply involved with the whole opt-out thing. And Chuck, I'm going to let you, well, first, I just want to say, because I have the microphone, um, that I've been reading a lot of negative stuff, and I think people are missing some key points here. I think this is, I'm going to compare it to, they didn't get the opt-out. But it would be kind of like saying, well, CU didn't beat USC over the weekend. Therefore, CU sucks. It's like, no, they came pretty darn close. And that bodes well for the future. And that's, I think, what happened in the Republican Party. But but why don't you explain what the vote was for and how it went and kind of give us some of the well, insider as, details. As, as if uh, uh, CU had to give up um, four touchdowns um, <laughs> and didn't beat them. Um, exactly. You know, but the, the opt out, the way the Democrats did it was that making it the law, the law, uh, to opt out from their rigged primary, um, we had to have 75% of the entire membership of the Republican Party. Um, incredibly, we had close to 98% of all people there represented by in person or proxy, which <laughs> most of the time we never even get 75%. So that was a semi-miracle in itself, two-thirds of the people approximately voted for the opt-out. Anytime you get two-thirds of the people in an election, uh, you're considered to have won the election. But, of course, it was a rigged uh, deal from the beginning, so we got 65%, but not 75%. Uh, but we doubled the m- number of people who wanted the opt-out uh, from two years ago. Um, this will enormously help in the lawsuit because John Cain said, well, you know, you only got 40 to 35 percent even want to get out of the opt out. So why should I uh, force something that you don't want to do yourself? Well, luckily, the lawsuit started. We don't have a Carter appointee. We have a pretty good judge. Um, and uh, it shows that two thirds of the Republican Party wants out of the opt out. And that's more than enough normally. Uh, but that's why the Democrats tried to rig it. And I think. I think this greatly helps us in court, um, and I think it's in its own way. Um, there are all no moral victories, but the one this one's pretty darn close. Fifty-five uh, percent of the people don't want to be tackled down in a primary in which the unaffiliated determine who our voters are, who our candidates know, and- are. 
I, I know there were a lot. I see Peg Cage is, is here. And Peg, feel free to jump in and weigh in if you want, because I know you did a ton of work. Anna Ferguson, Liz Temple, Dave Williams. I mean, there were so many people behind the scenes working to explain to people. And so once again, to sort of explain it to people who are listening who maybe haven't followed, because this is it, it's it's an in the weeds topic, but it's hugely important. So what happens is, as Chuck said, the Democrats rigged the law and said, we have to have this open primary. We've seen since 2016 when it started. Um, Republicans losing unaffiliated voters who are actually secret Democrats rigging our election, um, openly spending money to rig the election, the Democrats. So we had kind of two ways to opt out. One, the party leadership, the 400 people in the Central Committee could vote to opt out, but they had to get 75 percent, which is an unconstitutionally high standard. And at the same time, what Chuck is talking about, there is a lawsuit that's going on also. And um, I, and I think, yes, it's disappointing that we didn't get the 75 percent. But I think that was like I said, that was kind of hoping that CSU, given a four, like you said, Chuck, you know, being taking, you know, they'd have to score triple the amount anyway, didn't beat USC. The fact that we got that great, I think, shows a lot about the strength of the grassroots in Colorado politics. I mean, this is, I, I think, and they're going to downplay and say, oh, they lost, they lost, they lost. But don't be fooled by the PSYOP there. And I, well, that, that, particularly Republicans can't right. always buy wherever the, the Democratic uh, slant is. The Democratic slant is that they lost. And the, the, the real one is they got two-thirds of the vote, and it's incredibly unfair that a small minority gets to duck, dictate uh, to the vast majority uh, how they want to conduct uh, their primaries. Um, so it, 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 it really does show that two-thirds of the Republican Central Committee of 400-plus people um, are grassroots, and only about a third or a thousand, considering the fact that the establishment has ruled uh, the Republican Party from time in memoriam. Um, this is, we're going the right way, as I told Colorado Politics, and we really are. And we really ought to be thrilled um, that with 98% of the people voting, we got 65%. That's a victory. Um, and I think it's going to help us greatly. Uh, in the lawsuit, because they can no longer say, well, how do I yeah. know the Republicans really don't like being in the the uh, the primary? Uh, that, that's gone. So I think our chances just increased enormously um, in, the in the lawsuit. And you've got Peg here. Peg, what do you, what do you think? Well, I agree with Chuck and you. It was a huge victory. It was um, not... You know, we didn't opt out. We've wanted to opt out forever. But this time it showed a lot of unity among the party. Uh, we didn't have this uh, this black ceiling that we hit every time we tried to do anything with KBB and, and the rest of the rhinos saying you can, you know, you can talk about the opt out all you want, but it's never going to happen, which she proved with the um, – with the refusal to even put a amicus brief in with the lawsuit. Right. So I think it was a huge success. And what really, of course, as the, as the chairman of the teller committee, what it proved to me was at that same meeting where they voted to have paper ballots at the next state assembly. Um, that's huge. 
Yes. That's really huge. You know, it goes along with the RNC has already passed that they, they favor paper ballots, hand counted one day in the precinct. And, and the uh, state party has had that resolution since the last state assembly. So the election integrity thing, I think, is becoming reality. People are realizing that how how corrupt our elections have been. So this this is a big deal for me. And I think that one of the reasons that they didn't want to opt out was because they didn't know that they could hand count and they weren't ready to go into a state, a centralized state um, electronic voting or whatever, which is really kind of weird because they could have just stopped at the assembly, which would have been fine, but they've let the Democrats talk us into, oh, you've got to include all these people or you're, you're exclusive. Right. You know what? That's what we are. We are <laughs> the Republican Party. They could become Republicans. Well, Peggy, I think one of the things you guys did, too, for the Tower Committee was brilliant. And I want to get into this a little bit um, is you had it was a roll call vote. Right. Yeah. So people right. had to stand up. And, right. and and I think as we've been talking all along, this whole from the Bonniewell Amendment to some of the rules that they were talking about that were passed, you know, yeah. um, to this opt out vote, it has revealed who the rhinos are, who the truly donor right. puppets, puppets are. Right. And who the real grassroots right. people are, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's that uh, list is going to be really powerful when the primaries come up. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and and another that's... great thing that another great thing that was adopted, and it needed a two-thirds vote to get adopted, um, was saying now the party, if somebody just ignores the assembly and caucus, uh, and another person goes to the caucus and wins, one or more persons, um, the party can take a stand, saying all the right. leaders and everyone else go, we want we want the person who went through caucus and assembly. We don't want just one more rich guy. Uh, another Joe O'Day. Um, right. And that, that's going to really help uh, get us some better candidates. Well, and, and uh, so to clarify, so lot. I was going to say that just to clarify, so, so just so folks know, for the most part, when there are primary, when they're in the primary with Republican candidates, the Republican Party and the Republican Party leadership basically have to remain neutral, right? But what this right, says right. then is if somebody petitions on and somebody goes through the caucus assembly process, the party can support can openly support the part, the, the caucus assembly person. Is, is that what you're saying there, Chuck? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Peg, yeah. Why is that so important, Peg? Uh, because what happened last time was we had Joe O'Day running against Ron Hanks. Ron Hanks had gone through the caucus and assembly process, and he was a, a by far favorite. He's actually the only one of the six candidates that made it through the assembly as as the chosen uh, the nominee. And then we had Joe O'Day, who petitioned on and actually won in the primary because most of the voters eligible to vote in our primary, since it's open, are unaffiliated. And right. so he got on the ballot and, of course, he lost. So, yeah. Well, then this is from Jim, Jim Jackson, one of the listeners is saying any big surprises either way. I would say, and you guys know what you think, I would say 
the big surprise is, well, let me first back up. The other side, the establishment rhino side spent once again, a ton of money on flyers and phone calls trying to convince people to vote against it. And they're not fooling people anymore. I think the people who voted against stopping out are people who had a direct personal vested interest in the establishment retaining power. Um, And I think the big surprise to me is how successful and how strong the grassroots proved to be here. What do you guys think? And uh, It's it's not a surprise, but it is incredibly revealing uh, that most of of Colorado legislators, including the minority leader and the, uh, in the Senate, in the house voted against, uh, what two thirds of grass? Well, two thirds of Republicans want. It shows you how out of sync um, our our legislators are uh, from the people who who they represent. Right. I think that one thing that became really obvious to me was why do we have elected officials as members of the state party? Because they were not elected by Republicans. They were elected by Good point. Good point, Peg. Let's take their vote away. (laughs) Well, and keep in mind, that's what I mean by vested interest. These are people who know, and it's depressing to see the number of actual elected elected Republican officials in the state who could not win unless they had fake Democrats voting for them and they had Democrat money supporting them. Um, So that's why they voted against the opt-out. And I think, you know, in a way, I, I, Chuck, I just think this is like, it's good for the, for the lawsuit because I mean, it is, you can show you've got like all of a sudden one third, a one third vested interest minority is telling two thirds of the party that they have to do it their way. Right. And that, and that's just inherently unfair, I think. I agree. Right. I agree. I, I, I think this really demonstrated, um, What what the uh, where the, some of the so-called leaders of the Republican Party are uh, compared to everyone else? So it's it's a pretty amazing uh, re- uh, retribution to the establishment figures. Right. Well, and Peg, you yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, but another thing that I noticed was the the call for accountability was huge, even though they voted that in order to get a roll call vote, you had to get 75 people rather than 40 people, I think it used to be 40 or 45. But they made it so that it would be the entire body would be voting in that roll call vote. And they got the 75 people and they had the roll call vote with Anna Ferguson calling out every single name of every member in the party. And now we know. Right. Now we know. It's very, very transparent, very accountable. And I'm sorry, what were you going to say before that? Well, I was going to say, well, number, you'll be, you're going to, I'm assuming, be putting this list and then we'll share it too. But on mycoloradogop.org, the list of the people, how they voted. Yes. I hope to. Yes. yes, Okay. And then one thing too. So people say. Yeah, exactly. I think Anna's working on that too. Well, again, and Peg, I was yeah. going to ask you, you've been working on this for years, 
now, right? <laughs> and yes. I mean, and so you've seen when you you and Chuck a few summers ago, you guys, you couldn't even get party people to meet with you, right? Yeah. And now yeah. I think it's a combination of people being woke up, people seeing what actually the open primary has done to the party. I mean, what do you, yeah. I, I mean, first it's going to make you happy, but what do you think has been the main thing that sort of changed um, and, and to get to where we are right now? What thing people have seen? What is yeah the party chair? Yeah, Chuck has always said it doesn't matter what we do at the at the county level if we can't replace the party chair we can't do anything. We had a lot of support last time, obviously not enough, but every time we got to the top, it was it was killed. Killed by KBB. The uh, yeah yeah, and I think that when we saw how badly we were treated after the 2020 election that you know Ken Buck would come on and say hey you know we might have had problems in other states but Colorado's a gold standard and even though we had friends that were at the J6 thing and uh like Ash Epp was was um the victim of that uh what is it the gas that they were the tear gas Uh uh-huh yeah, the tear gas. So she actually had that. So we know that it wasn't our people that went there and caused an insurrection. Right. It was our people were not treated fairly. And our people are still, as as Todd brought up in his letter to Ken, um, they're still in jail. And so we, we are understanding that this was not just an election. This was the takeover by the deep state. And we better get in gear and we better doing something to get it back. And I'm, I'm really pleased that the, um, the precinct strategy was working. We got a lot of good people at the precinct level who got good people at the county level who got on that state central committee and voted correctly. Not enough. But it, was, it was really close. It was really Another close. Another great well, me... victory, although it's very local, was Adams County um, yeah. had said uh, that we don't want Evan Underwood. In fact, he's the last person we want to elect, um, and that the election of Anna was valid. And I was, I was really pleased that, that uh, the state central committee uh, backed the executive committee and overwhelmingly saying right. Anna is the uh, choice. So that, that well, was and that's. And that's that's and I won't go into all of the and that's really in the weeds. But what that is another sign of um, and, and Anna Ferguson is now the party secretary and it was a vote count um, and recount. And the Adams County chair, the new chair, Daniel Belfontaine, I'm just going to flat out say it basically either lied or misled us in terms of what he was going to do. And it was another again, he voted against the opt out. So it's another establishment controlled, you know, party hack, basically just trying to impose their will on the will of the people. The people of Adams County voted for Anna. They're trying to say, well, we don't like Anna. So we're just we're just going to pretend that didn't happen. And once again, thank goodness, the, the grassroots people at the Central Committee said, well, wait a minute. You know, if Adams County voted for her, they should get it. And once again, it's just the grassroots, you know, out from under the thumb of the establishment. Now, let me a final question. And Chuck, you need to go. But for Peg and then Chuck for you. So I don't think the establishment is I mean, I'm sure Dick Wadhams will be coming out talking about Stalin and Chuck's a Stalinist and you're a Stalinist and stuff like that. I mean, they're not going to go away. I don't yeah. think. Do you? So, I mean, I just we, we, we cannot rest. Can we? Oh, gosh, no. Okay. 
No. They won't go away because the big former party donors <laughs> yeah. um, won't let them go away. Where the money yeah. is, they're never going away because they always have money to buy people like Dick Wallum. Yep. All right. So, Peg and Chuck, what's next? What, what's next? Because people are galvanized. People are ready. What's what's next? I've gotten calls for the and people who had no idea anything about the state central committee. I've gotten three or four calls and a visit from different people saying we need to save this country. What are we going to do? And I think that a lot of it is going to be the paper count, the hand count. You know, people can learn how to do that and go back to their county and work with their election integrity people who are going to have to convince their counties to get out of Eric, get out. Well, I guess the state has to do that. That's pressure that we're going to have to put on them. Get out of Eric, get out of using these Dominion machines and all the other machines and tell your county clerk to stop being submissive to the county clerks association and to serve their people in their county rather than them. And let's do a hand count. Let's just exactly. get this right. All right. Peg, thank you so much. Chuck, let me, because I know you yeah. gotta you gotta go to your meeting, but Chuck, you're what what you know, what where do we go now? I mean, we've got the lawsuit. What do we do now? Um, what do we do now? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, we'll have our caucuses coming up uh in the spring, and we gotta make sure that that we get continue to get grassroots people elected um that's so critical for us um to be able to continue uh so that the money people uh aren't the only ones who uh get to talk in the uh in the deal well and it's as you've always said there are more of us than there are of them. And it's time yeah. and, and, you know, and we've proven that once we step up and take our power, they can throw all these mailers at us they want. They can have all of the hysterics in the mainstream media and the people see straight through it and, and go ahead and vote and do the right thing. So, well, Chuck, good. Right. I'm gonna, I'll continue talking about this for a few more minutes, but good. I know you have okay. to go too. So, all right. Thank you guys for the work. So if you're kind of just right. joining bye-bye. us, all right, bye-bye. If you're kind of just joining us, so th- there's been some talk. If you read the headlines, it's all negative. It's like they fail to opt out. It's they it fails, it fails, it fails. They're they're missing the point. No one, like I said at the beginning, it was kind of saying, "Well, CU sucks and they failed because they didn't beat the number ten team in the country." No one ever actually the, the standard of that seventy five percent needed to opt out was is unconstitutionally high. It would have been a miracle if we got there. So we didn't get there. And I and and to say just because we didn't get a miracle. It's not a failure. It's 65%, two thirds of the Republicans at the state central committee said, we want to opt out of the open primary. That is just a huge, you know, that is the grassroots people of Colorado, the Colorado Republican party, flexing their muscle, making their power felt, making their voices heard. And of course, the establishment people and the establishment media are going to try to stomp us down and say, oh, you lost, you lost, you lost. Because I know I was seeing some comments, people saying, well, I'm disappointed. I'm going to, I'm going to get out of the party. Are you kidding me? This is the time we are rolling now, right? Did we get all the way? No, but we've got the 
lawsuit. And this would be an enormous help in the lawsuit because now they can turn around, turn around and argue that the law is unconstitutional. They can say two thirds of the Republicans want out of this. And instead, the tyranny of the minority is keeping us in. I mean, that's now, again, judges do what judges do, but I think that's huge. And like Chuck said, the key thing now, the reason we were able to do that is because people at a grassroots level started participating in the caucus system. And that's how you get elected onto the central committee, right? So guys, the time now is to keep going. If you've never gone to a caucus, and I know their meetings, but it's time, I mean, it'll be after the first of the year, but it's time to start getting involved and do that. So because the, the, the establishment, I guarantee you, they've got the money, they've got uh, the, the bank rolls, right? They've got some of the organization and th- they're not going to go, oh, well, I guess the grassroots have taken over Colorado now. Are you kidding? No, they're going to fight back and they're going to fight back hard. So I think this is absolutely the time that we need to continue fighting. We've got so many questions. Let's see. Um, Charlene says, thank you for the comments. It is thank you for the transparency. People should know how their party representatives vote. So much progress. Senator Ken Book or Ken Buck, rather, like um, Wyoming did Liz Cheney. Exactly. Um, remove Liston from the party for harassment of a fellow Republican. I think Charlene oh, from Charlene. Great work. Peg Cajun Company. Um, I suspect they postponed the vote on censoring Liston. He's a Colorado Springs rhino who tried to file a fake. I don't know why they don't accuse him of um, falling false charges, but against another Republican, a grassroots Republican. And that was the jury took like 10 minutes to find um, the guy he was trying to attack, not guilty. Um, And so glad to have the names of the people who voted against the opt out. Um, And I think Anna Ferguson, the party secretary, I know is working on putting that list together and we'll publicize it as soon as everybody gets it. And Peg will also have it up on her website. I'm sure uh, mycoloradogop.org from Jim and coming primaries if two thirds of the regular votes vote out the rhinos that vote, you vote the rhino. We could, I mean, Jim, your comment is in coming primaries if two thirds of the regular voters vote out the rhinos that did this, that would be great. Exactly. Because I think, you know, again, these are just regular people, right? These are just, these are not um, paid consultants for the most part of lobbyists. These are just people who said, hey, look, I don't like what's happening to our country. I don't like what's happening to our state. I don't like what is happening to the establishment rhinos taking over the Colorado Republican Party. And they told us, oh, it's all Trump's fault. Everything's all Trump's fault. Well, you know, what on earth are they talking about? Trump is polling, what, six 62% from the Republican primary. Latest polls, he's beating Biden. So don't buy their nonsense that, oh, you know, Trump can't win. Well, of course he can win, right? They want to tell us he can't win. So when the election is rigged and the Democrats do their ballot harvesting and all of that, and then Trump loses, they're like, see, we told you. So just don't buy the PSYOP. Don't buy the PSYOP. Is there somebody there who wants to talk? I, I can. I don't know if I could hear somebody or not. Nope. If you do, is anybody there? Or just is that just me? Oh, oh okay. Yeah, Julie. Yeah, Julie. Yeah, since we're celebrating victories, uh, there was a victory at the American Federation of Republican Women this weekend in Oklahoma City. Did you hear about it? No, I didn't. Tell us. Well, there was a, a slate of four who were put up by the party establishment, and they were uh, also sponsoring amendments to allow transgendered uh, men into the party as women. And there were, uh, they nominated a slate of four from the floor and they were all from Arkansas (laughs) and they were against allowing 
uh, men to join the Republican Federation of Women. Uh, you could not be a transgendered man, a man and join. And, you know, usually the slated uh, candidates win. But in this case, the uh, the conservative candidates all won each of their positions Yay. in the American Federation of Republican Women. So, you know, they can be making uh, statements and stands and, you know, every organization that has conservative in it should come out with censors and statements and positions on, you know, what's happening. So it, it was really miraculous that that. Well, that- and that's great. Well, you know, and Charlie and I attribute it all just like here. It's not magic. It's just people are waking up, right? And people are exactly. saying, wait a minute, yeah. wait a and minute. they're standing firm. And, you yes. know, they, they, they really, they, you know, you know how they do when they try to hang on to power. They, you know, circumvent and come up with ways. But uh, the vote must have been so overwhelming uh, for the conservative candidates that they just, you know, turned it over to them. Now, they may try some, you know, and then they also passed amendments that prohibited it from and the reason why the slated establishment candidates didn't want to um you know wanted to let him in is they were afraid they would be sued and so Uh, you know the other women said well you let them bring it you know we're just not going to change for that so you know I think they hide behind that as an excuse, right? They say, oh, we don't want to do the right thing because we're afraid we'll be sued. And, and I agree. Well, yeah. And also, it. I think, you know, I personally, I think it's the uh, the Uniparty's agenda through Ronna McDaniel is to liberalize the party. And they yep. come up with these cover excuses. And so, and this is a case where the grassroots really pushed back and, and they won. So I just wanted to add another victory to, you know, we'll to keep victory. up our spirits. Uh-huh. All right. Thank you, Charlene. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Okay. We're going to switch gears a little bit um, and go, uh, you know, normally we're just heavy into politics, but I think we're going to leave it at, we had victories and I want to switch gears a little bit. And we've got with us on the phone now, Scott Hoffman. Um, He's the author of a book, Inside, and it's essentially an inside look at the workings of the outfit, which was an organized crime family in Chicago, um, in the South side during the 1950s and 1960s. Also, Scott works with the BBS radio folks, and we want to give everybody at BBS radio all the support we can have because we need them so much. So, Scott, hey, thank you for your time. Welcome to the Chuck and Julie Show. Well, thank you very much, Julie, and also thank you to uh, your listeners also. All right. So, Tom, okay, so, Tom, I mean, I grew up in, in, well, I grew up in Woodstock, which is outside of Chicago, um, but but yeah. I, I, I grew up there. But why don't you tell us, I mean, t- first, so the book is called Inside, and, and now is it is it sort of a fictional, is it a, how would you describe the book? Well, the book is fictional, but the characters and events are composites of real people and real events. And it had to be fictional because there were some legal issues that uh, had come up. So I originally had done it as fictional to avoid any legal issues that uh, were going to be coming up on it. Well, so you have essentially, and tell us a little about this. I mean, this is an, you have a, it's an inside track here, right? Your dad was in this organized yes. in the outfit. Tell us about that. Well, my father was uh, high-ranking in the Chicago crime family, the outfit. He was a manager for Paul Rica. He was a consigliere for Sam Giancana. He reported to Tony Accardo, and he was a consigliere for Joey Ayupa, who took over in 1973. So my involvement as far as seeing things went into the 60s, 70s, and even early 80s, I would say. Is it? 
I get like a million questions. So is the, what well, so the organized crime, what kinds of things, and I imagine it evolved over time, but what kinds of things did that? I mean, was this the equivalent of like a Chicago mafia? Would that be fair? That's correct what it was. I mean, my father had the plan for the seven hotels and seven casinos in Las Vegas. And it was not an easy plan to get through Paul Rica, Sam Giancana, and Tony Accardo. Uh, Paul Rica just listened. Uh, Sam Giancana says, well, we'll see. And Tony Accardo says, well, it's a flash in the pan. This guy, Bugsy Siegel, it's just a flash in the pan. It's not going to last. My father told Tony Accardo, he said, look, we can make a lot of money here. And Tony said, well, how, how are we going to make money? My father said, we're going to bring the dirty money from Chicago, the illegal money from Chicago. We're going to buy chips. We're going to cash the chips in, and we'll bring the money back to Chicago as clean money. Tony Accardo said to my father, go ahead with the plan. Wow. And my father started the plan called Jimmy Hoffa, who he knew we had given money to when Jimmy Hoffa first ran for his very first uh, union position, okay, as the secretary treasurer in his local. And Jimmy Hoffa had just taken over. So I asked my father, I said, why didn't you talk to Dave Beck, who was the union president? And Beck had just had portrayed himself. He was from Seattle. He was a longshoreman originally. I'd always portrayed himself as Mr. Honest, Mr. Clean, and he got caught embezzling money from the funds. So that's how Jimmy Hoffa, who was the first vice president, moved up to become president of the Teamsters Union. Wow. Now, when you talk and, uh, about the that, that money... Was, that was a lot. I mean, yeah. it, was a, it was a lot. It was very big. How, what, when you talk about the dirty money, what, where did the dirty money come from? I mean, what kind of stuff were, were was the outfit involved in, in Chicago? This is what they were involved with, and this was also part of my education. My father wanted me to see everything and then make my own decision if I wanted to go into life, as mob life is called. And uh, he said, you got to go in with your eyes open, otherwise you're going to have expectations that are not true. And it was gambling, loan sharking, extortion, money laundering, labor racketeering, uh, adult pornography, child pornography. Uh, uh, there was forgery of, of stolen documents, safe, uh, breaking into uh, bank, bank robberies, and also... Uh, Companies that did work for the state, the city, and and the county, uh, such as um, construction, demolition, insurance, and other businesses, that money, 10% of it, had to go, their contract had to go to the outfit. Also, strip clubs that street tax was 10%. The B-girl place was a bar girl place. That was 3%. Restaurant was 2%. It was continuously money coming in. We also had... Mob families from Milwaukee, St. Louis, uh, Des Moines, Omaha, and uh, eventually uh, Los Angeles in 1957 all had had a report to Chicago and had come up with 10% of their earnings for the outfit. So the money was coming in. At at their height, the outfit brought in $200 million, and $100 million of it came from Las Vegas. And there's a mob rule. Okay, that every mob family goes by, that cops and kids are off the limit. But that didn't apply to me because of Las Vegas. That's why I saw what I saw. I saw my first murder when I was nine years old. Uh, I saw uh, when I was 11, I saw uh, a juice collector take off a guy's hand, both hands. He was still alive. 
The same guy when I was 12 years old decapitated a guy who owned money. So, yes, I saw quite a bit. I grew up very fast. I had a very fast life. I did not have birthday parties. I did not have a bicycle. My life was seeing criminal activities. What? I, I mean, I got to ask, I, I mean, again, a million questions. What did, now, what did your mom say about this? Or though, what, I mean. I get, I get to ask quite a bit, as you can imagine. Every so I do, they pretty much ask me the same thing. My father had told uh, my mother before they got married what his life basically was. My father worked legit jobs, okay? So he'd get a W-2 so because the IRS criminal division was auditing him. But if you have a legit income, you're getting a W-2, there's nothing they can charge you with. You're not evading taxes. You're not filing a false tax return. And he told her, and she told him, just keep it out of the house, meaning okay. don't meet with anybody in the house, which he didn't. We met with people in churches. We met with people in Catholic cemeteries, in uh, Jewish synagogues, uh, you know, in Jewish cemeteries. Because my father didn't trust restaurants. He would go with guys. He had to go. But he never would talk because he felt the bug was under the table. Wow. And in, in the Catholic churches, uh, you know, we, my father would give the priest a $5 donation. Or if he right. was a drinker, he would get him Jack Daniels, Dwyer's, Johnny Walker Red. He wouldn't use the, uh, you know, the churches to make phone calls. He'd call guys on pay phones. He was very, very careful, which is why... He never was imprisoned. Now, so you then, so I, but let's fast forward to kind of the end. So what did you decide when your dad said, okay, I want you to have your eyes open and I want you to decide what, what, what did you decide? Well, when I was 17 years old, I was a senior in high school. And I told my mother, I said, I got an application for Wright, Wilbur Wright Junior College. Cause I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I'm, I'm not a mechanically inclined person. I don't have uh, the ability to learn a trade. So I knew an education was going to be very important to get ahead in the world and to be able to support myself. So I said to my mother, well, what do you think he's going to say? And she says, just tell him, just tell him. So uh, maybe uh, three, four hours later, I said, Dad, I want to talk to you. And he, he said, okay. And we sat in the living room, and I said to him, I'm not going to go into the life as an active participant. I'll be an observer but I'm not going to be an active participant. And people say to me, well, what's the difference? Well, the difference is when you're an active participant, then you can be charged by the G or the government, as everyone refers to them, for criminal activity. As an observer, you're just watching, but you're not participating, so they don't have any evidence to charge you with anything. And he said to me, Scott, he said, look, the worst thing a parent can do is to force the kid into something he doesn't want to do. And 30 years later, he's going to come back and say, you know, you forced me into this. And if you want to go on to college, further your education, I'm 100% plus behind you. You go ahead and do it. Oh, all right. Well, then how, what is the state of things? I mean, obviously writing the book now, uh, you know, you're writing a book. So you're, I mean, you must not be overly concerned or at least threatened by, you know, threatened enough to not write the book, but what's the state of, I guess, you know, the outfit of the Chicago mafia today? I mean, is it, are they, have the Mexican cartels, the drug cartels taken over that? Is it been just, has it been diversified? Um, I mean, what's, what's the state of the, the outfit today? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you this. In 2022, just for an example, there's four street crimes left with the outfit, okay? And and in 2022, Kansas City mob, which also reported to the outfit, and Philadelphia mob, 
and the outfit signed a joint agreement to do business, okay? And as far as drug trafficking, that is, is something that they have involvement working with uh, various street gangs, Mexican street gangs. So the outfit is very active. Uh, they are not as active as they once were because they don't have the manpower, nor do they have the corrupt politicians, the corrupt judges, and corrupt law enforcement that they once had. So, But they're still involved. They've been around for over, I would say, close to 120 years. And wow. they're, still, they're still there. And let me ask you that. I was going to ask you about then the, the politicians. I mean, you know, Chicago politics, again, I grew up there, was sort of notoriously corrupt. I mean, how, what kind of role? And, and so talk a little bit about that, the, the, the role or the interaction between the, the outfit and the judges and law enforcement and, and politicians. Well, I will start with the politicians. The politicians, everyone my father would always call our friends, okay? Everyone was always our friends. Whatever involvement people had with the outfit, would be our friends. And the politicians, uh, obviously, we would, uh, they had the ability to appoint judges. Okay. <laughs> that was, that was the main thing. They also had the ability to get contracts through for the state, the city, and, and Cook County, which is a separate government, even though it's called within Cook County. And my father never cared for politicians. He'd always tell me this. He'd always say, Scott, look, there's no difference between Democrat and Republican. They both take the envelope, and uh, when you open up the envelope, you see Ben Franklin on the $100 bills we're giving people. You see him smiling. And I said, no, I never. You don't see Ben Franklin. You look at a $100 bill. He's not smiling. And he says, and they, my father would say, why would he be smiling if when you're giving money to Crook? Okay? <laughs> so that was the first thing. So then I would say to him, Dad, why are there any clean politicians in Illinois? I was about 11 years old when he's telling me this, okay? And he said, yes, yes, there are. And I was a little surprised after what he told me, that there's no difference. They both take the envelope, which was true. Republicans, right. Democrats, they took the envelope. So then I said to him about, and he says, yeah, they're clean politicians, the ones that don't get caught, okay? Oh. Then we, we, the conversation goes a little bit farther, and he says to me, he says, always, always remember this. Anyone who goes into politics goes in as a whore, comes out as a prostitute. And then he tells me politics is like the life, meaning mob life, because the faces change, but the nonsense remains the same. And I'll give you an example. In the city of Chicago, we have 50 wards. Each ward has an elected alderman. Since 1972, we're talking 51 years, there's been 37 aldermen that have been convicted. So the faces change, but the nonsense remains the same. Wow. Wow. What about, let me ask you this, uh, and this is a little bit off topic, but so I grew up in Chicago and my dad was a landscape, landscape contractor, right? And there yeah. would be times when he would have to, actually a lot of times when he would have to hire, he was a non-union contractor, right? Um, but he would have oh, yeah. to hire union people who he would just pay to sit and play cards all day. Was that yeah. your guys' workings there? <laughs> It's no shows. Those are no. That's why my father worked legit jobs because he didn't want a no show job. Because a no show job means you're not working, but you're getting paid. And you can be charged. Okay. So yes, okay. there were there were no show jobs. I mean, the, it, it was definite. Uh, I remember I about a year after my book, I was at an in person presentation, and then I always allow at the end for questions and comments. And a guy stands up, says, "Mr. Hoffman, listen, I 
I don't know anyone in the mob. I don't have anyone in my family. There's no one that lives on my block. But when you say the mob touches you, can touch your life, I don't understand. And an elderly lady was sitting right to his right, and she gives him a couple of light taps on his uh, right arm and says, Jimmy Hoffa, Kingsters. And he sat down and said, now I know what you're talking about. You see, with the strength of the Kingsters, the outfit could shut down Chicago, just like uh, mob families in New York could shut down New York, Philadelphia. Remember, you can stop deliveries to grocery stores, the pharmacies. You can shut a city down because you're talking about Kingster drivers. Okay? Right. So that was the strength of the Kingsters. Right. Even well, today, that... you still see it. Yeah. Well, and I, I and I, as a kid, I remember asking my dad, "Why do we have to? Why are you paying these guys?" And and he said, "Because they'll shut the they'll shut the job down if I don't." And That's he said, so "It's just it's just easier to pay." Well, I mean, you talked about you know Milwaukee. You talked about Des Moines. I was born in Des Moines, and I think I, I mean I am kind of surprised to find that it was that the, essentially you know the equivalent of the mafia was operating in these Midwest wholesome cities. I mean, do you think people would be so? I mean, surprised like me at just how much involvement there was or still is to a yes, certain extent. I think they'd be very they'd be very surprised because when I talk to people, their eyes really. Get very hard and they say, really? They were doing that? They were doing this? Yeah, because you got to remember, with mob life, and this goes for any family, anywhere, the first conversation of the day is about money. The last conversation of the day is about money. So any way to earn money is how they look at it, okay? They uh, they don't care about anything else. They don't care about the people. Uh, doesn't matter. doesn't mean anything. My father used to say to me, always remember, we don't go door to door selling encyclopedias. People come to us. They come to us to gamble. They come to us if they have uh, bad credit and need a uh, loan, so they come for, to see a loan chart, that, which is true. Everything always came to see the outfit. People always came. And even for other things, they would come, even though they might say at a, at a, a party, oh, the mob life is terrible. But in the meantime, they didn't want to get their hands dirty, and they'd be calling us to do something yeah. for them. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. That was that was the strength. That was what it was all about. Always money. Well, I guess you're right. And money. I mean, there's money in Milwaukee. There's money in Des Moines. You know, there's yeah. there's there's money everywhere. What um, how did your dad and well, you said he was very careful. But I mean, how much did you guys worry growing up and you worry about getting caught and having to or, or does that where the corrupt judges come in again? Well, that's where the corrupt judges would come in on the circuit court level, Cook County circuit court level. Okay. When you're talking about federal judges, federal, that's, that's something different, obviously. That's, that's something a different, a different part of a different color. But when you're talking about local judges, no, it, you know, they'd be able to fix the case. And, uh, you, I sat in a lot of courtrooms, a lot of courtrooms, a lot of courtroom experience. And a judge would always say, there wasn't due process. Or there wasn't enough evidence. Uh-huh. I'm dismissing the case. Because you have to remember, judges in Cook County are elected. So they yeah. need the politicians to support them. And right. after you get your first term, when you run for a second term as a judge, you have to make what is known as retention. Okay? So you have to get at least, you know, like 60% of the vote. Right. You to 70% of the vote to keep your seat. So you're going to do what you're told by the yeah. politicians. Just uh-huh. like law enforcement. A lot of people, what they don't know, where they say, why do you have 50 Chicago police officers, 30 were active, and there were 20 that uh, either were fired from the 
job for mob activities or were going to be fired. And there was uh, we had uh, 30 Cook County deputies on the payroll that were needed, and we had six Illinois State Police on the payroll wow. that were needed, and we had and we had two FBI agents on the payroll all the time who were needed. And one of the reasons is, and most people don't know this, there's two things. One thing is this: uh, a juice collector who's gone out to collect uh, interest on uh, gambling money or loan sharking money, whatever they bring in, they get half. Oh, they, they get half. So that's why they're very aggressive. Yeah, you know, with people because they get fifty percent. Now, guys who work and bring in the street tax, they just get whatever they're going to get. They don't get anything additional. And also, you know, the thing about a contract, I have to explain that for a second. The sure. only time there's ever anyone ever is going to get killed over a contract if there's money on his head in the sense that it means something. Otherwise, if you're given it, when my father was given the order by Sam Giancana, let us say, and one of the one of the things you know you hear the most common word is being whacked, but there's also uh-huh. another phrase. It's got to be careful, and that's don't accept your receipt. Give him his receipt. So if you're in a store and the clerk says, uh, you know, Julie, would you like your receipt? You run out of that <laughs> store real fast. Okay? Yes, same. That means that they're going to shoot you. But the thing is about the contract is that's considered guys' work. Okay, they didn't get paid extra unless there was money put on the guy's head, which happened rarely. That was that was rare, but it was that was his job. That was part of his job wow. responsibility. Okay. Wow. That, that, so he didn't get paid extra. But that was just his. That was his job. Your contract. They think, oh, everyone got shot. You know, I <laughs> got paid. They always got paid. That's, That's crazy. Hey, That's listen, yes, they do. Scott and I got, we have run out of time. This has been fascinating. We've been talking with Scott Hoffman, author of um, a, a book, The Inside. So Scott, tell people, where can they, do you got Do you have a show with BBS radio or where can they get your book? I mean, how can people hear? No, I'll, all tell you, I'll tell you where they can get the book. Cause I know you, you know, like you said, you're, you're short on time. Uh, if they go to Amazon and put in my first name, Scott, S C O T T middle initial M, they have to put in the middle initial cause there's other authors named Scott Hoffman. And last name Hoffman, H-O-F-F-M-A-N, and then put in the word inside the title of the book. They will see the book is sold as a paperback, and it's also sold as Kindle, which uh, several people buy so they can read on the train when they're commuting or on a bus. So either way, but that's where they can find my book. All right. Hard. All right. No, it isn't hard. Scott, thank you for your time. Thank you to the guys at BBS for recommending you as a guest. Um, I, I'm going to tell you right now, you should expect a phone call. I'm going to, my good friend, Peter Boyles, he's a radio talk show host in Denver, fascinated by all this mob kind of stuff. When I get done with the show, I'm going to give him your contact information. So, cause I know he'll want to talk to you too. So thank you for your time today. I sure appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, Julie. And thank your audience uh, very much for being able to listen to hear me speak. All right. Thank you there, guys. Okay. So Scott M. Hoffman, the name of the book is Inside, available on Amazon. Um, Sandra says, remind me of the movie Injustice for All. Um, and everybody thinks Scott was great. He was interesting. Yeah, that was a little bit of different, but it's like, uh, like you said, Republicans and Democrats are the same. They all take the envelope. I guess, yeah, ask Kevin McCarthy about that, right? Um, so much other stuff to talk about. We'll have to wait until Wednesday to get to it all. Thank you to Peg Cage, Chuck who is at an appointment. He'll be back on Wednesday. Um, To the great guys at BBS, again, thank you for recommending Scott. Um, That will wrap it up for us today, and we'll see you guys all on Wednesday.